It is week four of the regular season. We're pretty much at the quarter-ish point. The Eagles and the Miami Dolphins, softed Miami Dolphins, are undefeated. Meanwhile, the Texans and the Raiders still do not have a win. There are 30 teams in the NFL that have a win already. Uh, today, I'm joined by Parker Gabriel because Soffit, he's feeling a little bit sick, but he's going to do a, like a little Jordan flu game at the end. He's going to join us in our picks. But I'm so excited to have Parker today on It's the Football Podcast. Parker, how are you doing? I'm doing good. I, the, this is the upset of the year so far that the Dolphins are 3-0 and and, and Soffit's not on the podcast. Right. Right. I joked last week that I was going to be the one sick if the Dolphins were going to survive and go to 3-0. and But I guess I gave my sickness to Safa. Maybe Safa was just partying too much. And, you know, maybe, maybe he has some uh, adult beverages and that's why he's sick. So I maybe thought, that could be. I thought maybe he was in the concussion protocol, but I think actually he has a back issue. Oh, okay. That's it. That's it. You know that uh, concussion protocol in the Miami area is a little bit uh, spotty, so hit or miss. <laughs> no surprise it'll be on for his picks, though, since he's dominating all of us. Uh, right. Unfortunately. So I do have to hear from him today, uh, eventually. Before we get started on NFL headlines around the league, we have a special guest here today, uh, Tom Shad, and he's going to discuss the USA Today's diversity project that the entire NFL team and sports team has been working tirelessly on for about a year, probably even over a year. Tom can uh, speak on that in a second. But this project uh, where... The NFL team collected data on race, gender, and uh, diversity in NFL, uh, the head coaching ranks, and even assistant uh, coaching. So, Tom, I want you to uh, talk to us a little bit about this project, how it got started, and some of the interesting tidbits that you found. Yeah, it was really a, a team effort. And like you said, something that we've been working on for a little bit more than a year at this point. Um, you know, the NFL releases um, diversity and inclusion reports every year that have some kind of top level findings and obviously diversity in the head coaching ranks or, or lack there, thereof, uh, rather. And head coaching ranks has been a big talking point, but we wanted to look kind of further down the chain. So um, we, we collected data on every coach in the league this year in 2022 from your head coaches to coordinators, all the way down to fellows, quality control coaches, people who are just breaking into the business. Um, and so it was interesting. You know, I think some of the things that we found kind of confirmed what we assumed. Um, you know, one thing is just kind of looking at the, the race piece of it. You know, there's a lot more diversity at the lower ranks than there is at the top. Um, you know, there are only six non-white head coaches in the league this year, whereas quality control coaches are more than 50% non-white. Uh, which seems to symbol or, or kind of illustrate this issue that the NFL's had for a long time, where it's not that there, you know, aren't enough, uh, you know, non-white coaches who are qualified and, and deserving of opportunities. It's just that they get stuck at some way, kind of going up the ladder. Um, they're not given enough opportunities at the coordinator position, at the head coaching position, even at the position coaching positions uh, in a lot of cases. So that was one interesting finding. And, and I think the other thing was just um, the racial makeup of coaches who work with different positions of players. Um, we looked at kind of, you know, running backs coaches being a big one of the 31 running backs coaches in the league. Uh, 29 of them are coaches of color. 
and you compare that with quarterbacks coaches, for example, who are 82% white, offensive line coaches more than 90% white, and that's obviously a huge issue because those quarterback uh, coaching roles and offensive line roles are the ones that traditionally lead to offensive coordinator and head coaching jobs. So, um, you know, there, there are a lot more coaches in the league uh, now, coaches of color in the league than there, than there have ever been. Um, but there are still some of these systemic issues that are, that are ongoing that the league needs to, needs to deal with. Now, um, for the positional coaches, did you kind of um, break down and examine, you know, why it is that a majority of the black positional coaches are stuck at that running back? Uh, position. Yeah, and, and we talked with a lot of coaches kind of about this this issue, and um, really their their kind of historical roots in this this um, kind of racial breakdown of players at, at certain positions, and it's an issue called stacking that we've, we've seen across sports, where there's subtle uh, racial stereotypes that kind of lead to um, athletes of different races being pigeonholed in the different positions. Um, this has been an issue in, in football for a long time. And we're seeing kind of the ramifications of that um, in the coaching ranks. One of the issues, though, is that, you know, we're seeing things like one, one thing we heard a lot was that a lot of running backs coaches are, are coaches of color because a lot of the players that position of coaches of color. Um, but we're not seeing kind of the flip side of that with with quarterbacks coaches, you know, as we have more non-white quarterbacks in the league and, and really dominating the league and leading the way. We haven't seen as many coaches of color breaking kind of at the quarterback coaching role. So it's something that's not consistent really across positions, which I think really illustrates kind of um, some of these deep-seated issues that, that, again, have been around for a while. Yeah, that's really alarming considering the fact that most of the recent hires have been quarterback coaches, offensive coordinators, and there is a glaring lack of diversity there. I did uh, see uh, a poll that you guys did. The Steelers – have the most diverse coaching staff with what a little bit over 63% and then the Texans are second with 60% and then the um, Seahawks and Jets are tied uh, for third with a little bit over 59 and then all the way at the bottom the Bengals are 23.8 can you talk to us a little bit about you know that and just the glaring lack of diversity uh, amongst you know, these teams, especially like the Chiefs with 30% and the Bengals with under 25%. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, the one thing that we tried to do with this is it's, it's a snapshot in time, which was what the Bengals kind of in, in their defense to us said, you know, this is just one year. You have to look at it kind of holistically and, and there's definitely some merit to that. Um, but this snapshot in time illustrates that, yeah, the, the teams across the league are not advancing and diversifying their staffs at the same rate. Kind of, we, we talk about it again, even I'm talking about it in kind of a uniform way about NFL diversity. Um, but this really illustrates that, that some teams are, are kind of embracing, um, the issue a little bit more than others. Um, the one thing that it's important to note is that all those teams that you mentioned at the top that have the most diverse staffs, the Steelers, the Texans, the Jets also have a, a coach of color at the top in the head coaching job. Um, and in fact, if you take the, the six teams that have a non-white head coach, their staffs are collectively something like 53% coaches of color. And the rest of the league, it's something like 40% or 41%. Um, so that, again, kind of reinforces, you know, how important and, and uh, the, the value of having a coach of color kind of leading the organization 
you start to see the importance of diversity kind of trickle down all the way through. Was there any acknowledgement among white coaches or white executives that you spoke to that uh, said like there there is a problem and it needs to be fixed? Yeah, I, I think there's a there's a wide ranging kind of acceptance that, that there are some deep seated issues, even even from the league standpoint. You know, the, the league was very open with us and that, you know, they've tried to come up with all these initiatives to increase coaching diversity and, and you know it's a really important issue for them. And and really I think behind the scenes it's just a lot of um people assuming that they're doing their part um and that other people aren't upholding their part. And so, you know, there are plenty of white coaches who I think do take this issue seriously and, and really strive to have diverse coaching staffs. And there are other coaches that do not even think about it and do not take it seriously. Um which again just kind of illustrates some of these deep seated seated issues and and kind of that a potential solution for the league is you need to get everybody kind of on the same page and everybody working towards a, a common goal. Parker, I think you have an interesting perspective on this because you, I mean you came from the college ranks yeah. and that's even worse yeah. in diversity than the NFL. So you know what are your thoughts on this and do you have any uh, questions? For yeah, I, I mean it's it's just really outstanding work obviously by the whole team and I think it's interesting not only coming from the college ranks but then also you know I, I got to Denver sort of on the tail end of uh, Nathaniel Hackett you know a white head coach and the son of a coach sort of like really fits the mold of a lot of the stereotypes you think of in terms of the type of people who get opportunities to be head coaches compared to some of the people who don't um, and he's put together I think Denver was ninth um, in, in the, you know, in terms of the, the number of, of non-white coaches on staff around 50%. Um, and so it's been interesting not only to watch that, but then, you know, at the ownership level, um, with a new ownership group coming in and the, the, the steps they've taken and, um, you know, the things at least that have been said, they've got a couple of limited shareholders, um, you know, from a diverse range of backgrounds. Um, and so anyways, that, that's sort of been, it's a, it's a, an issue, um, that's sort of playing out in real time in, in Denver, particularly just because of the amount of change and turnover, um, sort of at all levels of the organization here. Was there anything that surprised you? And I guess maybe related to that, um, can you just outline the sort of scope of the of the lift that this is to do this kind of work as a team over over more than a year to get to a point where something is you know in the paper and on the website and, and published yeah yeah i mean i guess in terms of the scope uh i know parker you, you helped with a piece of this i mean everybody kind of had a, a little a little piece at, at various parts of the, of the process um yeah, I mean, there's a lot of public information out there about NFL coaches, and I think the biggest thing from our standpoint is just getting our arms around it, getting it all in, in one place. Um, you know, the one thing that we were very careful about was verifying the race and ethnicity of each coach. Um, I, I know that there are past projects that have been done kind of in the same vein where somebody just kind of looks at, you know, the staff directory, some photos, and, and takes a guess, and, and we did not go that route at all. We were very careful in terms of... Uh, fact checking because we want to make sure that we had everything absolutely right there. So it was a very big lift. Um, but hopefully, you know, it, it's useful. And, and the big thing from a reporting standpoint is the numbers of the numbers, right? You know, we, we are drawing kind of conclusions from the numbers and we're analyzing the numbers, but they are what they are. Uh, you know, they're factual. And so I think that kind of, that kind of, um, 
helps when you're when you're doing a project like this. Um, in in terms of things that were surprising, um, I mean, I think I was surprised a little bit that um, you know the NFL has made strides in terms of just the number of coaches of color who are in the league at this point. I think there is some credit uh, to be given for that. Um, I think overall it's something like 43.5% um, of coaches in an outfield capacity are coaches of color. Um, in the past couple of years, you know, it's been 30s, low, mid-30s. So um, there's progress there. That said, players are roughly 70% non-white. So you still have this huge gap between, um, you know, the racial makeup of coaches and the racial makeup of players. Um, the other thing was just kind of how dramatic some of these gaps were. Um, you know, we talked with a lot of coaches, running backs coaches who said, you know, they knew that the majority of running backs coaches were black. They didn't know that 93% of the league's running backs coaches were, were, were non-white. Um, so I think some of that just kind of how dramatic the numbers were, um, that kind of stuff surprised us. Yeah. I was telling Tyler just before, before we started uh, recording today that that not only that 93% number, but that, the running backs coaches make up 40% of the non-white assistants that that number just sort of jumped out to me as being, as being pretty extreme. Yeah. And, and I mean, I want to make sure that we spend time talking about the kind of the second part of this, right. That, you know, that running backs coach position does not translate to offensive coordinator spots. And another kind of startling thing that we found is over the past seven years, there are only six running backs coaches who have been promoted to offensive coordinator. Um, which is wild. And we, we did a case study of 2015 running backs coaches um, of the 14 who are still in the league, 12 still coach running backs um, compared to quarterbacks coaches where um, there are 16, I think, still in the league and five of them are head coaches and four are offensive coordinators. So there are just these huge disparities in, in how those different positions are viewed. So one uh, thing that really jumped out to me about the project is a story that we had on uh, when we interviewed Vice President of Football Operations, Troy Benson. And he pretty much outlined the excuses that NFL executives um, had and why they haven't um, hired black head coaches. And <laughs> I have to admit, I, it, it angered me when reading this. And I have a reaction to all these points. So the first one was never called plays. And that is something that a stigma that Eric Bieniemy gets a lot. I've interviewed him plenty of times before. And there are a lot of first-year head coaches who have never called plays. So that is a BS excuse, number one, like all these are. But I'm just going to go down the list. Now, too many friends on the potential staff. Last time I checked, it's good to know people on the staff because <laughs> that helps your transition. I mean, you, you would think. And then also last time I checked, head coaches are tasked with building their staff. So, I mean, that just sounds like another excuse. Um the pr no previous game clock management experience. No first year head coach has previous game clock management experience. And I mean, I can go down the line. Zach Taylor from the Bengals, not to call him out. He's went to Super Bowl, didn't have game clock management and experience. 
Sean, Sean McVay. He's very successful. <laughs> right. He Sean McVay never had game clock management experience. And not to call single these coaches out, but I'm just letting everybody know that they never had game clock management experience. All these first year head coaches in it. Unsure ability to motivate players. Now this that was one that really hit me the wrong way because as you mentioned, Tom, and it's been widely reported, the NFL is players are over 70% black. And what a lot of executives don't seem to understand is black head coaches a lot, since the league is 70% black, they can relate on a deeper level, not to throw white head coaches under the bus, but they can sometimes relate to a deeper level than some of the white head coaches. And sometimes it's because they played football. And so a lot of these black assistant coaches played football. And when you play football, you have a deeper knowledge than somebody who has never played a snap in their entire life or maybe played JV football. So that's another one. Didn't interview well. Another a topic that multiple head coaches or multiple assistant coaches have, you know, said that's been a problem. Anthony Lynn. Uh, <laughs> I can go down the list of head coaches or assistant head coaches or even head coaches in the past that said that was a problem that, you know, they said Eric Bieniemy again, another one. Lack necessary experience to lead. I mean, <laughs> that that. That that is, in my opinion, a stereotype for not only black men but also minorities that they can't be leaders or CEOs or managers or you know any type of leadership position. Um, so I mean, again, the, the, these are things that are just terrible to just read. Didn't look the part. I would like to ask a follow-up question. What does looking the part mean? And what is look what is look the part? What what does that necessarily mean? What is look the part? Another one. Seem too nervous throughout the interview process. Now, I have always been told that when you care about something a lot, you're naturally going to be nervous. I have never went into a job interview non-nervous. I have never competed in any sport non-nervous. Michael Jordan was nervous and during his game. All athletes have some level of nervousness. All in Parker, Tom, have y'all been nervous for an interview ever? Any one percent? Every single one. One yeah, percent. Yeah. <laughs> so I mean, you, you, people get nervous. I mean that that's natural. Um, job is different than what it was previously. Well, I would hope it's different because that's why you're in this predicament in the first place because the last head coach failed. <laughs> so it, it, it needs to be different because the last head coach didn't get it done. But at the end of the day, this is not an NFL problem. It's a societal problem. The NFL is a microcosm of society. There are diversity issues at a whole lot of businesses not named the NFL. So I just don't want to single out the NFL and say, oh, well, they have 
a lack of diversity at head coaching. There's a whole lot of lack of diversity in corporate America. <laughs> so this is a societal problem. But yes, this is a football podcast. So we're talking about football. And in football, the players are 70% black. And in my opinion, the play, the coaches on the sidelines should be a reflection of that. And it's not, and it is a terrible issue. I mean, I think I would just add that Troy Vincent was very emotional when he was reading this list to us. There were several of us from, from USA Today on that call, and it didn't seem like something that he had planned or that was part of some sort of, I don't know, planned remarks. I mean, it was something that was just very off the cuff and, and very emotional. And I think it hits at something that a, a diversity uh, expert advocate told my, my colleague Nancy Armour, which is just in all of these situations, and to your point about broader diversity issues in corporate America, it's all a club. And basically this expert said, you know, people hire the people that they can see themselves hanging out with or they want to play golf with or whatever. And they let that cloud, you know, kind of hiring the best person for the job, the best fit for the job. And, and it points to, I, I just want to reinforce exactly what you just said about the diversity issues kind of in broader society in corporate America. Um, and the NFL is, is kind of a, a microcosm of a lot of these issues, but um, but yeah, we have a lot of work to do just kind of, kind of overall, and this is emblematic of that. It, it is amazing to see, you know, Troy Benson in his position. I mean, when he lays those out, when he says the words, you know, it just is like, it's, it, it elicits sort of a visceral reaction of a lot of things that if you're around the league, you cover the league, you work in the league, you follow the league closely, they're all things that you could, that you, you might think. Um, and none of the reasons listed are something that like you haven't heard before or thought before but to see them to have somebody like like troy vincent lay them out and say them and then read them on the page it really just like like you said tyler i mean it it elicits a strong i can't imagine anybody reading that and saying like oh what's what's the issue i mean it just it, it elicits such a strong reaction it's it's pretty amazing to to see it laid that bare and then i think Part of what's powerful about the series, right, is then you take uh, the, you know, what coaches that are, you know, in these positions think and then, you know, what what Troy Benson is laying out of data that they've collected and then you add the numbers in and it, it, it um, yeah, I mean, it, it sort of, it all layers on top of each other. Well, that's going to uh, be a wrap for the conversation today with Tom. But before you get out of here, Tom, can you elaborate on the future pieces that are coming out on this project? Sure. Yeah. Without without giving too much away, you know, obviously we, we collected a lot of data and there's a lot of different, um, you know, elements, I think, that are interesting kind of in terms of how you, you view diversity. Um, one of the things that we put out today has... Um, data on the average age of coaching staffs. So that's something that we'll be exploring. We've also collected something you alluded to, Tyler, about um, coaches having played in the NFL or college and what positions they played. Um, you know, that's, that's data that we've collected as well. So there's a, there's a lot of interesting things to be written out of this and um, certainly lots more coming down the pipeline in terms of stories and, and, uh, and more, more to the project. Well, excited to read this. You all did an outstanding job in this project. And thanks for joining us here today. Yeah, thanks for having me. So it's only right since we have Parker here to talk about the Denver Broncos. And Parker, I, I do have to say, the Broncos might be the worst 2 on one team in the National Football League. I mean, 
They don't have any banner wins, and they're averaging, what, 14.3 points a game, which is the second fewest in the National Football League. Parker, tell me I'm not wrong that the Broncos aren't really that good. <laughs> oh, well, offensively, they've been bad, that's for sure. The, the funny thing is they should probably be a 3-0 and team that's averaging 14.3 points per game because they've they pretty much needed to do everything wrong uh, to lose to Seattle on Monday night in, in week one. But yeah, two and one. Uh, they picked up an NFL honor this morning. And of course, it was not uh, the new quarterback or anybody on the defense. They have the AFC Special Teams Player of the Week in Corliss Waitman, the punter, after he punted 10 times uh, on on Sunday um, against San Francisco. So yeah, it's been... It's been interesting. Um, it's been ugly. Uh, they've scored 16, 16, and 11 and managed to win a couple of those games, mostly because the defense um, has been really good. Uh, I gave up 17 points in the first half of Seattle, and since then have just given up one offensive touchdown uh, in the last 10 quarters that they've played. Not exactly a murderous row of quarterbacks that they've faced so far in uh, Geno Smith, Davis Mills, and Jimmy Garoppolo. Um, it's going to get more difficult from here. Um, obviously, with the division, they play in uh, Vegas on Sunday. Um, but yeah, it's been sort of a head scratcher on how how bad they've been offensively. Some of the game management stuff with uh, Nathaniel Hackett, the first year head coach, um, has been adventurous. And yet, um, three weeks in, they're two and one. And so, if it's uh, if you're if you're taking the just win baby approach. Uh, it looks a little bit better than if you're if you're evaluating what they've actually done offensively. So what's the root of Denver's offensive issues? I mean, is it offensive line play? Is it, you know, lack of chemistry between Russell Wilson and the receivers? What have you seen and what's the problem with Denver's offense? Yeah, it's it's kind of a myriad of things, as you, as you might expect. The, the, the interesting wrinkle on this is that the first two weeks they were not bad let's say like between the 20s they actually moved the ball relatively consistently um and they just couldn't get the ball in the end zone they went oh of six in the red zone uh touchdown wise over the first two weeks um against seattle both javante williams and melvin gordon each lost fumbles on the goal line going in and then the next week, Russell Wilson went 0 of 5 inside the five-yard line. Uh, it's just sort of like a, a wide spectrum of failures in the red zone over the first two weeks. But the rest of the offense looked pretty good. They had 400-plus yards against Seattle. They moved the ball against Houston. And then the tables just flipped against San Francisco, which is probably fair to point out is a really good defense. Um, and they went three and out nine times. So – that's it's been it was it was sort of like one thing the first two weeks they moved the ball they couldn't score in the red zone and then last week they just really didn't have much going at all no rhythm in the passing game um, usually tough sledding in the run game against San Francisco that was that was the case uh, for most of the afternoon and they just popped one good drive when they really needed it in the fourth quarter twelve plays and eighty yards uh, Russell Wilson moving around picked up a first down with his legs, kept plays alive. Um, it was more – it looked more like the Russell Wilson you got used to watching in Seattle 
they want him to play on schedule. They want him to play in rhythm. They want him to play from the pocket. And it's all new, you know, it's all new for him and for the coaching staff and for the supporting cast. And, and it looks like that, you know, it looks like a group that's trying to figure out who they are offensively for the most part. And they've just got sort of like that one quintessential Russell Wilson drive when they've needed it, um, you know, one against Houston and one against uh, San Francisco. And they've got two wins because of that and a really good defense. Are you surprised about this slow start offensively? Do, do you do you have any confidence that they'll pick it up here in the near future? Yeah, I, I, I am a little bit surprised. Um, I think if you look at, you know, the, the the this offense, you know, the one that's rooted in the sort of Sean McVay, Kyle Shanahan, you know, going back to Mike Shanahan, it's quarterback friendly, um, but quarterbacks have not always thrived in it right away. You know, it took – uh, even guys that have put up huge numbers in the system, Matt Ryan, it took him a little bit. It took Aaron Rodgers basically a year, and then he turned into MVP performances. Um, this top offense didn't play in the preseason, which, I mean, when you lose in the opener, it's it's obviously you don't just shrug your shoulders and say, oh, well, they didn't play in the preseason. They lost a game um, to a team that they probably should have beat, and, and maybe it'll cost them, um, you know, come playoff time. Uh, but I, I guess you expected some bumps in the road. It wasn't just going to be like sixth gear right away. The extent that they've struggled to surprise me a little bit. Well, speaking of another surprise and a, li- a, a little sadness, I'm sad and a little bit surprised that you're leaving us, Parker. Yeah. <laughs> you're leaving us. I know. Yeah. This yeah. is the last time you're going to be on this podcast. I can't believe Yeah, unless you have me on as a extra special guest at some point down the road. But yeah, yeah, I am I'm leaving. In fact, the the day of this recording is my my last day. And I was I, I was it was way too short, you know. I I uh only got to spend one off season uh with you guys here. Um and yeah, it's a bummer. I'm I'm glad you had me on the podcast on my last day though. That makes it that makes it better. Yeah, it's a good uh you know, partying gift, but I do have a little bit of su- of a surprise for you. You know, oh, you're not going to get too far away from me now. You know, I cover the AFC West a lot. Yeah, and actually, I will Don't see I will see you on that Monday night game when the Broncos lose to the Chargers at SoFi Stadium. So I'm excited Excellent. to see you in LA in a couple weeks. Will that be your first time in SoFi? That'll be my first time at SoFi, yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, you know, maybe I'll get you a drink undercover a- a- after after the game. After, after the game. After, of course. Yeah, after, for, yeah. for, you know, your your party, another parting gift. But congratulations on the new gig. It was great working okay. with you. But I'm sure I'll see you around not only in two weeks, but, you know, throughout the NFL season and going forward. Yeah, I'm sure going for it. I was going to tell Safed I'll see him at the uh, AFC title game in, in Miami. Uh, <laughs> oh, okay. I mean, that, that, that could. I mean, may, maybe Denver will uh, be like eight and eight. Well, no, eight and nine, and, and get yeah. in somehow. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, that's that could be. It could be that way at this point. The funny thing, and you know this, AFC West. I mean, it was a pretty brutal week for for the division last week. In fact, for a while, you know, Denver was losing most of that game, and it looked like all four teams in the division we're going to lose, um, mm-hmm. you know, Kansas city obviously lost to Indy and the chargers. Uh, I got, you know, 
injury problems of their own and, and got and got blown out and um, you know and then Vegas is on three. So yeah, it's been an interesting start to the division so far. Yeah, well that's a perfect uh, segue to the next uh, topic. There are two winless teams in the NFL and one is right there in the AFC West. Are you surprised that the Raiders are 0-3 or are you more surprised that the Texans are 0-2-1? Yeah, yeah, more surprised. Um, you know, I think I. it's funny because around here, like in Denver, there's been so much talk about, and, I, and nationally too, you know, about Nathaniel Hackett and, and the decision-making, you know, issues and, and how rocky it's been over the first three weeks and, and Denver's 2-1. And, and, and then you look, you know, another – First year head coach, although not first time head coach, Josh McDaniels, another guy, you know, familiar to the folks in Denver. Um, 0-3. And it's just I I am surprised. Um, but again, you know, anytime you're you're integrating uh, new people and new systems and all that, you always expect it to a little be a little bit bumpy. But yeah, it's been rough. And and that's a uh anytime the way from you know the reports that were after the game on 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 Sunday in Vegas, anytime you're a, a head coach in your third game and you're coming out of a closed door meeting with the owner after the game, that's typically not a good thing. Like that's, yeah. you, you, that's a, you know, performance review at the end of the year is fine. Three games in, man, that's, I mean, even if it's all, you know, support and all that, like you don't want that to be necessary after, uh, you know, three weeks. Well, good news for the Raiders and not to play spoiler. I do have the Raiders getting their first win over the Broncos this week. So we'll see. But speaking of wins, I can't believe the Dolphins are 3-0 and and the Eagles are 3-0. and Now, I, I, the Eagles are good, but the Dolphins, and then I have to hear Soffit voice and get his text messages like every day. Soffit texts me something Dolphins-related every day, and now he's joining us. With a Dolphins head, I'm surprised. Of course, he shows up right when the Dolphins come. I, I just, yeah, right. right, right, right when you least expect it, or, or maybe most expect it, Tyler. The Dolphins are three and zero. Dolphins are three and zero for about another what thirty hours. So let me just enjoy this one here, guys. What do what do you what do you want me to say here? Three and zero. You beat the Bills and the Ravens, and you beat Bill Belichick as well too. I mean. Who's off to a better start than the Dolphins this season, Parker and Tyler? I mean, come on, nobody. Nobody. I mean, even the Eagles. Even the Eagles. I mean, that's wow, Tyler. You're getting it from both sides here. Can you believe that? Not even the Eagles have a better start than the Dolphins. The Eagles are the best team in the NFL right now. It's not the Dolphins. The Tyler, Eagles are the best team in the NFL right now. Tyler, what, how do you really feel about my text messages? Um, you're on the verge <laughs> of being blocked. Um, <laughs> I should have blocked you a while ago, but um, yeah. Parker, um, maybe uh, I can forward all Safa's messages to you so you can answer to his text message. Don't put me in the don't put me in the uh, group chat. On this <laughs> the thing is, the thing is, Parker. Last week, uh, you know, Tyler said if, if the Bills would lose to the Dolphins, that uh, you know he wouldn't show up to the podcast. He'd be sick, and I guess it was the other way around. The Dolphins did win, but I'm the one that didn't show up for most of the podcast because I'm not feeling too well. Maybe I'm celebrating too hard, Tyler. What do you think? Oh, no, though. We know you've been drinking too much. I mean, drinking that victory champagne over that 3-0. Drinking that victory Kool-Aid. The victory yeah. Kool-Aid, right? Yeah, victory look, Kool-Aid. Look, I, I, um, it's cool to see the Dolphins 3-0. and I did not expect them to beat the Bills, especially after playing 90 snaps on defense against that quarterback over there. 
I did not expect them to be 3-0 and after going down by 21 points to Lamar Jackson and the Ravens, but they're 3-0. and And, uh, yeah, I think we all expected the Dolphins to be 1-0 after uh, beating the Patriots because the Patriots are down are in for a down season this year. But big Thursday night game coming up. Um, not too sure how the Dolphins are going to do on a short week. Maybe it's a plus that the Bengals are on a short week as well. Yeah, it's a big night for the Bengals. They're uh, unveiling their new uh, ring of honor, two new members, and then they're going to be wearing their white uniforms. Uh, so the Bengals are going to be amped to play. I know the Dolphins are going to be amped to play, though. So it's going to be a, a good game between a Bengals team that is trying to get their season back on track and Safa's lowly Dolphins, who are lucky to be 3 and out. Lucky, lucky. It's okay. It's okay, Tyler. <laughs> it's okay. You'll come around. The Eagles have been impressive, though. I mean, that that in, in terms of the other three and O team, I mean that they, you know, Jalen Hurts is playing well, and it's we, we talked about it, right? I mean, we talked about it all summer about the weapon weaponry that they put around him, about the the what they look like on paper on defense, and they've done a good job of of taking that, you know, translating what looked like a really good roster around the quarterback, and then and then. The way that Hurts has played too, um, they, they look like they've got some some staying power. Yeah, most definitely. Uh, you know, I, I talked about this a few times. I'm really impressed with Jalen Hurts' development this year. You can see how he's improved tremendously from his rookie year until now. Like his presence in the pocket, his poise, his accuracy, his you know throwing mechanics. He's just improved so much, and he's playing with a whole lot of confidence, and it's really showing. And the team, the Eagles are loaded around him, and the only question was Jalen Hurts, and he's answering the bell right now. I was actually happy to see him get Devontae Smith in the mix like he did last week with you know, more than 150 receiving yards and some really crazy catches by Devontae. Um, you know, Smith wasn't really like too much into the pitch for the first two games, um, they were re- relying a lot on A.J. Brown and Miles Sanders. But, um, you know, I spoke about this earlier in another podcast as well that, um, you know, I saw the Eagles practice this preseason and Nick Sirianni, the Eagles coach, said this was the most he's ever seen Jalen Hurts really take true command of the offense and knowing the ins and outs of where he wants to attack a defense and what players he wants to take advantage of. Um, all these things are coming to fruition for the Eagles in their 3-0 and start and um, – they're, they were the favorite for me. I, I think once they got uh, you know Chauncey Gardner Johnson, they were the favorite for me. Favorite for me to win the NFC East. I think they still very much are the favorite for me as well in that division. Am I allowed to switch my pick? I did have the Cowboys. I think I'm going to switch it to the Eagles. <laughs> I, I, I mean, Tyler, you're just so used to switching everything. So go ahead. Man. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate that. Stop. Now that we have everyone, I think the best way to send out um, Parker is to let him do some final picks. Now, Parker, I just want to give you a caveat that's apparently um, been made on this podcast that your I don't know whether you submitted this them this week, but your written picks given to Nate Davis and crew do not have to match your podcast picks. <laughs> so oh, okay. right. we have had that's multiple instances where people have uh, tried to put. Play both sides of the ball. So, uh, with stop it. 
<laughs> with that caveat and the standings as they are, who knows what the standings are? I'm not really sure who's ahead anymore, but let's kick it off with the game that we had just mentioned, and we'll go around the horn on the 8-15 Thursday night game between the Dolphins and the Bengals, who will be in their all-white uniform, as we mentioned. And I think there's no better way to kick it off than with Safed. All right, Tyler. I know what I picked uh, to submit our picks, but I got to do it to you here on the podcast, too. I'm going with Miami, man. I'm going with the Dolphins. You know, it's 50 years since the Dolphins had their perfect season, you know, uh, 1972. Let's get off to a 4-0 start on the road Thursday night. Look, Tua Tagovailoa has a back injury and an ankle injury. How is he going to push this team to 4-0? I have no idea. This defense just played 90 snaps on defense. I have no idea how they're going to stop Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase once they get tired. Florida Dolphins, book it, Tyler. <sighs> Go ahead, pick your Bengals. Pick I, your Bengals. I know we do. You know we know you're from Cincinnati. You know what I'm saying? I'm not from Cincinnati. The Bengals have been uninspiring to start the year, and for once, I'm going to pick the Miami Dolphins. What? I have the Dolphins. What? This game on Thursday night. I'm not too confident, but I do have them winning. It's going to be a big night in Cincinnati, though. Those fans are going to be routed. Parker, please bring some reason. Please bring some reason to these picks. I had since I, I uh, you know, there's no recourse for me in getting picks wrong at this <laughs> point. Um, so that, along with uncertainty, uh, you know, with with um, you know with Tua, just from the health standpoint and all of that. Um, Sure. I'll take the Bengals. Weird stuff happens on Thursday night. Uh, so let's go with it. All right. Let's move on. I feel like that was the feature pick. Maybe I should have made it last. But we'll move on to Sunday with the 1 p.m. game. And we'll do the Bills at the Ravens. Obviously, the Bills are looking to find their footing again. And the Ravens are still a little bit inconsistent. I think these teams are pretty evenly matched coming into this game as far as what they need to get out of it. Tyler, who do you have in Bills at the Ravens? If the season ended today, Lamar Jackson would be my MVP. He has a league-best passer rating right now. He's playing terrific football. The Ravens better pay that man, but I'm picking against him. I got the Bills <laughs> winning this week, getting back on the winner's circle. I'm going to take Buffalo this week, too. Look, um, I just saw Josh Allen play 90 plays on offense, and um, he's so good that he's going to help the Bills overcome all of their deficiencies that they have on defense. Um, I even think so against Lamar Jackson and the Ravens. Look, Lamar's off to a great start, but who have the Ravens beaten this year? Only the Jets and only the Patriots. Um, That doesn't really inspire me to think that they're going to beat the Bills this week. I know they can. But I don't think they're going to take uh, take Buffalo this week. I got the Bills. Buffalo, yeah. I mean, I, it's it should be a great game. Um, echo everything those guys said, especially with Lamar the way he's the way he's playing. But um, I don't I don't expect you'll see many losing streaks from from the Bills this year. And and uh, I'll pick them to get back on track this week. Another interesting game, um, like the Miami game, we've got the Jaguars, who just are coming off of that dominant performance against the Chargers, facing the Eagles at home. Again, an impressive Eagles team who gets to play at home again. Uh, Parker, let's start with you. What do you think about the Jaguars at the Eagles this week? Yeah, I've been impressed. I think like a lot of people with, with Jacksonville and and you know the 
progress Trevor Lawrence has made with Doug Peterson there and 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 all of that. Um, but you know, if we were just singing the Philadelphia's praises, I wouldn't be surprised if it's close. But um, I think the Eagles get to four zero. I'm going to take the Eagles in this one too. Look, the Chargers. Oh, excuse me, the Chargers had a bad loss. They had a bunch of people injured, um, including the left tackle who's out for the season, Rashawn Slater. Justin Herbert still dealing with that ribs injury. So good on Jacksonville and Trevor Lawrence to take advantage of that game on the road last week. Um, I would like to see more from the Jaguars, though, and I think how they play in this game against the Eagles can show what kind of team they'll be. They'll ultimately be this season, but I'm going with Philadelphia in this one. Jaguars have a nice pass rush. Trevor Lawrence is playing well. Doug Peterson is coaching this team good, and you know he's going back to Philadelphia, led the uh, franchise to their only Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. But the Eagles, they are the best team in the NFL. You like how I go that roundabout way, Emily? I see that. <laughs> the Eagles, they're my number one team in the NFL right now. I love the way they're playing in all three phases. I got the Eagles. All right, another game that I'm going to let Parker pick first on, and this is driving me insane. I'm trying to make it interesting, but you guys continually pick the same teams, even when I, we try to doubt the Miami Dolphins or I try to put a, a curveball in there. But let's go with the 425 game. We're talking about the Broncos at the Raiders. Again, kind of interesting because we're talking about maybe some of those smoke and mirrors involved with the Denver Broncos right now, where are their strengths, where are their weaknesses. And, of course, the zero-win Raiders who really need to get something out of it soon because they're they're in panic mode. I think Tyler said the last matchup for the Raiders, whoever lost – was going to be in panic mode, and it was the Raiders. So, Parker, what do you see out of this Broncos at Raiders game? Yeah, I'll be surprised if we have uniformity on on this one. Um, it does feel like a toss-up. Derek Carr um, has, I mean, he's he's lit up the Broncos several times in his, his career. Denver hasn't won uh, on the road against the Raiders in a long time. Um, it's interesting uh, you know, Josh McDaniels, obviously, his first go around as a head coach was in, in Denver, didn't go that well. There's a lot of interesting subplots here. Um, just if you're watching this game, um, I'll, I'll be there in, in Vegas this weekend covering it. Uh, watch Devontae Adams and Pat Sertan. I mean, Sertan just in his second year in the league, and he's already established himself, is in the process of establishing himself as one of the very best uh, corners in the NFL. You'll see him with Devontae, you know, probably traveling some with Devontae. Um, I think that at some point Denver's offense is going to get on track at least a little bit. Um, and with the way their defense has been playing, if that happens, uh, they're going to be a tough out. They're certainly not a perfect team. They've got, they've got limitations. Uh, we've seen some of them offensively already, but with the way they can run the ball and the way the defense is playing, um, I, I think Denver will go on the road, um, and get a really important, um, division win. And that's, that's um, when you talk about the FC West. If it if it ends up being as good as, as a lot of people think it is, um, you know, holding serve at home and then and then picking off the division win on the road um, is, is like gold in terms of trying to make the playoffs. Well, look, I think um, everything Parker said about the Broncos is very true. I, I look back to their Week One game against the Seahawks and how many times they were in the red zone. I mean, you don't go to the red zone like that unless you have it kind of together, right? They just weren't able to score, and I think the the Broncos leave more to be desired, but we're going to see it in the coming weeks here. Um, for me, though, I'm picking the Raiders in this one. I think that team is just due. Um, I can't wait to see the Devontae Adams-Pat Sertan matchup, but I do think the Raiders have too many weapons that the uh, the Broncos won't be able to account for. 
The Raiders' secondary scares me. They're not good at all. Their pass rush has been non-existent this season. As I said before, the Broncos are the worst 2-1 team in the National Football League. And the Raiders are due a win. Come on, Derek Carr. Come on, Devontae Adams. Where's that Fresno State magic? I got the Raiders winning in Vegas and sending Parker off his last game. Oh, no, you're going to be the Denver Post then, so never mind. Emily wants us all to have different picks, but the thing is, I go first and Tyler repeats all my picks. So that's not true. I, mean, I was trying he even to go repeated first. A Dolph- he, re- he even repeated a Dolphins pick, which is like, I-, I can't even believe what's going on here. I was trying to go first with the Raiders. So I want to hit on the Monday night. We normally hit on the Monday night games, and I, I want to hit on it because uh, it's a game that really it-, it-, it matters to Tyler a lot. And I- I'm curious to see who he'll pick just because in the past. And the base better than that way. He said some interesting things. So Monday night let's let's talk about the rams at the 49ers and um since you always follow soffit tyler why don't you tell us uh what we can expect from this game well and the base better than that number one that is not my voice i have no idea where you got that sound bite from uh, are, are you listeners. sure that is not my voice that does not sound and like the base it. better than that way i am picking the los angeles rams i talked to a lot of players in the locker room last week going to beat the cardinals that week one loss against the Bills left a bad taste in their mouths, and they are focused, and they want to prove that they are still the best team in the NFL. I got the Rams. Producer Emily, where's that game this week? Is it in San Fran? In the Bay's better than LA. Yeah, it's in the Bay, right? Oh, okay, just wanted to make sure of that. Um, Tyler, I'm taking. I'm going against you here. I'm going to take the 49ers in this one. Look, I know the Rams beat them in the NFC title game last year, but uh, the 49ers have won six games before that in the series. Kyle Shanahan always finds a way to get the best of Kyle. Um, Kyle Shanahan always finds a way to get the best of Sean McVay. Um, I'm going to take the 49ers in this one. I don't know how, but they're going to do it. Yeah, uh, this is a great one. I mean, this is a great one. Uh, you, you guys have already split your picks, so I, I can just uh, I can just take whichever side I want here. Um, I, I saw San Francisco um, here in Denver on Sunday night, and they – you know, Denver did a pretty good job of slowing down their run game. Um, I think it's I think it's important. We don't get a lot of offensive line talking on the pod, but Trent Williams, that high ankle sprain, that's a big one um, for San Francisco. It was different for them after he went out on, on Sunday night. Uh, Denver was able to get after Jimmy Garoppolo consistently, but especially after he was he was down. Um, but man, that defense, San Francisco's defense is for real. I mean, their linebackers can really run. They've got talent at all three levels. And I don't, I don't know why exactly I feel this way, but I I think that the Niners just find a way uh, to get it done at home close. Um, but that defense can play with anybody. And and I think they've at least got a chance to to slow down. And the base better than LA. (laughs) Exactly. Tyler. I couldn't agree with you more, Tyler. At the end of the day, that that's what swayed your opinion is the Bay being better than L.A. because of Tyler's consistent reminder of that. The game that I did skip over is the Chiefs at the Buccaneers. Buccaneers are obviously in Miami right now practicing um, when we're recording because of Hurricane Ian that is um, likely to affect much of uh, the west coast of Florida. You can find updates on that on USA Today. Uh, 
when, where, if this game happens, it's going to be an interesting one. We saw some of the uh, tension happening with the Chiefs during last week's game, and obviously Tampa Bay and uh, Tom Brady are looking to bounce back from, again, he's just really, he he's not throwing many touchdowns. There's just something a little bit off um, this this year with Tom Brady and the Bucks. But um, He's 45. <laughs> age matters age Something matters then he said that he had a lot of uh stuff going on <laughs> i mean that too but he's 45 he's old <laughs> he also has nobody to throw to nobody to throw to <laughs> everybody's hurt so i'm just gonna assume that we all agree that uh i'm gonna pick the chiefs again and we can uh i think we can wrap up <laughs> that's a good one that's a good one i'm taking the chiefs as well i'm taking the chiefs south is taking the yep. bucks this Florida bias. He's wearing Bucks you know, colors. You know what, Mike Evans? You want me to lose with another Bucks pick this week, Tyler? Yes. Let's yes. do it. Let's do it. I'm picking the Bucks. I'm picking the Bucks. Let's go. Us Floridians, we got to stick together during this big hurricane coming. Yes. Mark that down, producer Emily. Pick the Bucks. This is the final goodbye to Parker. Parker, it's been a pleasure. Having you on the podcast and being your co-worker, I hope you have a good time. I mean, not going far. You're still going to be in Denver, but it's it's been great to uh, work with you. Yeah, it's been awesome. Thanks, guys, for having me on as many times as you did in the last uh, few months. And, and yeah, I'm sure you guys and, and our whole uh, NFL team will keep producing outstanding coverage. And stop it. I don't know. We're going to have to cross paths in Florida at some point, but Tyler, I'll see you there. I'll see you in a couple of weeks in uh, L.A. We definitely will, Parker. We appreciate everything you've done here on the podcast with us and here at USA Today Sports. And we wish you the best as you continue your coverage of the Broncos in Denver. Thanks. And everybody, make sure you go read the USA Today's NFL Diversity Project. It's a really expansive project. They really put a lot of research into it. I say they, but it was a collective effort with all of the the entire sports department. So make sure you take a look at it. It's really important and uh, good information to uh, look at the NFL and their lack of diversity and the issues that plague the National Football League. And of course, subscribe to the podcast, listen to the podcast and download it wherever uh, you listen. Wait, what? Download it wherever you... I'm not good at this stuff. (laughs) Downloaded what? What am I supposed to say? You can find all of our coverage on usatoday.com slash sports. And, of course, you can download the USA Today Sports Plus app in your Apple Store and Google Play. And be sure to subscribe and listen to the It's a Football podcast every week, wherever you get your podcast. We'll see you next time. It's a football podcast. Find it now on the USA Today Sports Plus app where the biggest fans fan harder. Show!